Hello and welcome to episode 126 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray hitting a provisional with our second episode of what is an historic week on the Melbourne Sandbelt. These concurrent Australian Opens have proved a heady mix for the golf world. The combination of Cam Smith and Minji Lee's triumphant return to Australia, coupled with the magic that is two of the region's finest courses in Victoria and Kingston Heath, has the eyes of the golf world fixed firmly on these shores. But there is a third and in some ways more important event also happening this week, with the Australian All Abilities Championship being contested for the first time since 2019, 12 of the world's best All Abilities players on site to battle for the title. Among them is Canada's Curtis Barkley, the seventh ranked player in the world, and here with us today. Curtis, thanks for taking some time. Appreciate it, mate. Yeah, it's a great experience so far, and I'm happy to be here. We're going to get some more from you in a minute, because you've got a closer relationship with Australia than we might have realised. Also, I've got, of course, my co-host, Adrian Logue, here. We're in the Australian Golf Centre again at Sandy Golf Links. They've generously lent us the podcast studio again. What are your thoughts on this space compared to mine, Logue? Uh, this is a little bit more up-to-date. The sound quality seems excellent. Well, invite some feedback from our listeners to say whether or not it's a, it's an improvement over your over the Sydney podcast studios, but well, uh, sounds, sounds pretty good to me. Deliberately trying to rile me, aren't you? It's good. Not what we came together to talk about. Curtis, uh, I mentioned there that you've got a closer relationship with Australia, with Australia than we realised. As we were walking and you told me, you lived here for three years. Yeah, so back in 96, I believe, uh, the Biga Cheese Factory was purchased in Canada, uh, close to a hometown of mine, where my father happened to work, and my mother, and Bika Cheese bought it, so we flew down about maybe approximately 10 Canadians. My dad and mother was one, and he helped build the factory. Uh, We were here three years, Uh, so I lived in a town called Tathra, just uh, outside of Bika. Uh, from 8 to 11, so I, I played a lot of competitive golf at a young age, basically is pretty much where I started competitive golf. Uh, I played in the pennants, uh, a lot of match play stuff, learning the ropes, got the edge from that, uh, returned home at 11 with an 11 index, and, uh, and yeah, basically, <laughs> basically years later you know, still- Come back here. I, I have some roots here, um, so it's it's almost like uh, another home so, to me. Yeah, it feel, feels very homey. I, I understand a lot of the slang here, <laughs> you where other where other people would not. And uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Like like uh, it, it's great to be back. It, it it just the smell of getting off the airplane, you know, brings back huge memories from twenty five years ago. Beagle's so, on the far south coast of New South Wales, for those mm-hmm. who aren't aware. I haven't even been to Beagle. Have you been? Well, been nearby. The Kamaruka Project oh, of course. Is, well, yeah. is not far from there. Give and it a spruik. The Kamaruka Estate actually was part of the sort of that nascent Bega, um cheese col- uh, consultant. Like there was a consortium, consortium down there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I have, I've been – I would love to go and play Tartha Beach Country Club, though. I think that's um, – of course, it's always intrigued me. Have you just looked that up on the... No, no, I, I've, I had it on a list and I've just looked at... I brought it up on just Google Maps because I wanted to have a look. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, of course, it's always been... I found intriguing. It it's been quite quite a few years since I've played it myself. I'm sure it has changed a little or quite a bit. I'm not sure. I know uh, 
approximately 10 years ago, my dad came back to visit for about a month and he walked in and it was basically the same setup. Uh, he went back to the factory and he said it was like three times the size. Some of the main uh, company bosses or so to speak, you know, recognized him and knew exactly who he was. So uh, it, it would be amazing to go back and see the old hometown and walk back onto the course and see what I could do now. So yeah. bigger, bigger cheese is huge thing, by the way, for those who don't know, it's probably the biggest cheese brand in Australia, I would think. Them and Kraft, maybe. Anyway, we didn't come here to get to talk about cheese. I want to talk to you about your dad a little bit uh, later, Curtis, but I wanted to ask first, you, you sort of gave us a bit of a teaser there. From the ages of 8 to 11, you played golf and competitive golf in Australia. We often think that the golf culture here has some real differences to North America. You're from Canada, obviously, so it's maybe more similar here than the US. What have you found with the difference between the two golf cultures, Canada versus Australia? Uh, golf is huge here in, you know, and like growing up, sports was basically all I loved. You know, go to school, I, I look forward to the gym and, and playing all kinds of sports, not just golf. And, uh, you know, it's, it's huge here. Back home, our season is short. Uh, I play maybe five months out of the year. You know, and hibernate for the rest. How do, how do you deal? With that? Honestly, and I said this to you when you mentioned it on the, in the car on the way over. How do you deal with that? Golfers in Australia could—it's an unfathomable notion that there'd be five months of the year where you couldn't play golf. No, I'm talking five months where I can play golf. Oh, sorry. So, <laughs> so there's seven there's months seven months. Basically, it's too cold or too wet. Yeah. To go on the course, you must have options. I imagine that golfers have adapted in some way to continue their golf when the weather's like that. So with my disability, the cold really affects me with my back and my performance. So when it does get too cold, I usually put my clubs up and, you know, concentrate on something else where other players might start earlier and finish later, you know, without the problems I have. So they, their season might be a month longer, uh, Wow, so six months instead of yeah, it's extraordinary. Like, it's, it's something I grew up. Well, I probably played golf for thirty years without even understanding that some other countries don't get yeah, to play golf. Never gave it a thought year round. <laughs> yeah. yeah, be like, oh, I wish we were in Queensland. It'd be a bit warmer today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, were, yeah. they wouldn't have to wear sort of two. You mentioned that. What What is your disability, for want of a better term? Kevin? Yeah, so I was born with severe scoliosis, so my spine curves three ways. Um, I'm basically. To simplify it, if you straighten me out, I would basically be seven to eight inches taller in the torso. So I'm very compressed. Uh, it affects my organs, like my heart, my lungs, uh, my energy level. I got to watch what I eat. If I eat too much, I get very full uh, quickly. So like, I got to make sure I don't eat so much before a round and, you know, uh, stuff like that where other people won't even think yeah. on those kind of lines. Uh, it, it affects me each and every day. As soon as I wake up, even when I'm sleeping, I, uh, I have a, a lot of problems falling asleep, getting comfortable. Um, I'm always uncomfortable. As you see in the car ride over, I, sitting in the car was not comfortable. Yeah. My but driving's not great either, which probably helps, so apologies <laughs> for that. But basi basically, it's my everyday life. It's normal to me. Uh, there's a huge pain tolerance. I used to, basically, growing up, I was, from my aspects, I was a lab rat. So they would give me pain meds, 
poke and chews. I grew I grew up in uh, Chio, which is a children's hospital in eastern Ontario, and I was in there. They knew me from my file. I had a huge file, many X-rays. Um, yeah, ba- so uh, yeah, basically. It, it, it's been a struggle since day one. Got to manage every aspect and of what y- most of us take for Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I I see some guys as, oh, I'm sore. Oh, this hurts. And I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. you guys you guys don't know what pain is, you know? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Like a lot of people take a lot of things for granted. And I'm just, I was dealt a certain cards and I'm just playing my hand. It would be easy, and I imagine for some, and in fact completely understandable, to allow yourself to be defined by that. Is that yes. something you have to be careful about? Well, Or is that a bad thing? Maybe it's okay to be defined. It, it, the way I look at it, my disability made me who I am today. So I don't know how to look at it any other way. You know, so... As we've taken golf all year round for granted... Exactly. You, this has just been the way it's always been. It, it, it is what it is. Oh, yeah. um, it's just it's just what I've been dealt, and I can handle it for the most part. So, so what role does golf then play for you? That's perhaps different to the rest of us, if at all. Or is golf for you just like golf is for the for everybody else? So, so a lot of my life has been a mindset. Growing up with a disability, you are looked at differently, treated a little differently. It was great with my family and my brother, my friends never treated me differently. So they didn't give me that extra help that I would need. I figured it out on my own. There was certain things I couldn't do because if I got hurt, I might be in a wheelchair. So I didn't play hockey back home. I didn't ski I played golf. So at a young age with my father, he was a professional teacher when I was quite young. He taught me the right things. As a golf teacher, you mean? Professional a, golf teacher. So he taught me the right things right away. So I didn't have any bad habits. I continued with it. Obviously came here and played. Went back home and played. Um, so when I'm on the course, I'm not thinking of my disability I'm thinking this shot right here, right now. So I don't feel my pain. The pain's still there. I don't feel it. My mind is somewhere else. So the only thing I concentrate is this shot right here, right now. I hit that shot, and I go to the next one. Yeah, that's pretty powerful stuff, and I think a lot of people would um, understand what you're saying, that we've had sort of similar feelings with that. For all that, you play off plus one. So what you've actually done, Curtis, is make life worse for yourself. You have less shots less moments where you're just thinking about the golf shot instead of the discomfort. You, you really should be looking at getting out to 27, 28, something like that. <laughs> well, with golf, right, you, you play – the whole point is to shoot less shots. So so playing off at plus one, yeah, I've, I've grinded to be lower back when I was younger when I had more energy. But uh, the lowest I had it was plus 2.8, I believe. But I played six times a week. Wow. Now I play three times a week. Five months of the year. For the five months of the year, unless I'm traveling on the G4D. How much do you do? We'll talk about the G4D tour. We've talked about 
Christian Hamilton, who I saw yesterday, Logan, who'd mm-hmm. heard us refer to him as being infuriatingly nice on the pod a couple of weeks ago. Did he I take did. it with humility and graciousness? Of course he did. He took yeah. it in the best humour imaginable. Yeah. It was infuriating to, <laughs> to, uh, to be a part of it. Tell us about the G40. Christian Hamilton here in Australia. We feel in Australia like he's been really instrumental in that globally. Do you feel that same thing? Uh, Christian's great. He he steps up. He... <laughs> I tell him, I keep telling him he's almost on a different level. Like he, he, he's really for the players. You know, he helps out everywhere. He's helped me out. He's helped a lot of the guys out. He's great. Yeah. I was going to say the experience of playing in the Australian All Abilities Championship is set up to be exactly the same experience that the professional golfers, men's and women's have playing in their respective championships. But in some ways... You've actually got it better because you've got Christian sort of yeah, looking exactly after you right. personally. But they've just got the normal but, tournament. That's right. Up. They've got a, you, you've got yeah. a smaller group, and you've got Christian Hamilton like looking after every need yeah, there. Good point. And you know he's, he's got in some the other same resources. way that elite amateurs get to play by far the better courses at the top levels yeah. of the elite amateur game than the pros ever do. Yeah. You've sort of uh, got the energy. I just thought of something quickly, which I forgot to mention uh, last week. We had James. I don't know whether you know James Gribble from Empower Golf here in Australia. Yeah, James on the show a couple of weeks ago. Ross Flanagan from another Australian podcast, The Mile Off of Golf podcast. Uh, he's a terrific bloke, Ross. Sent me a link that he'd done a video of that trip that James oh, did. Oh, I saw that. It was, about it eight was it's fantastic. very good. Well, I didn't know Ross was behind it. that. I'm glad you've seen it. Go and find it again, and we'll put it in the show notes, <laughs> because when Ross sent <laughs> it to me, I said that I would, and then I, uh, I promptly forgot. Uh, Logue's mentioned the magic words there, courtesy, here for the Australian Open. Runner-up in 2019. So talk a little bit about... Actually, we'll come back to this, Ryan. Talk a little about the G4D Tour. For those who might not have heard of it, explain what that is. Yeah, so it, it uh, is basically a tour that was developed uh, beginning of this year. We had the European Swing last year, which was two rounds. Uh, they took the best four for the Dubai finale. And uh, How many roughly are you getting into a field? Uh, they played in conjunction with European Tour events, aren't they? Yeah, so there's 10 players per per event. Uh, we qualified for Dubai, which was only the top eight based on wins and world ranking. Yeah, so same as the professionals, as you earn points for where you finish, that sort of thing. And then if you're in the top X, you go off to, off to Dubai. What has that, that structured, professionally run kind of tour experience been like? I imagine it's different to most of the golf you've played, including any elite amateur golf, which is – more organised than what we go and play on a Wednesday afternoon, but it's not like what you see on the professional tours, is it? Yeah, yeah. So it, it it's it's all in its workings, you know. Like uh, it's just a stepping stone here and there. Uh, we we basically play the Monday Tuesday of the same week, which is great. You know, you you get to play the same course, get this kind of the same atmosphere, kind of the same treatments. Um, Playing the Monday, Tuesday, you know, uh, we take what we can get. It's not quite like the Australian All Abilities where we're playing Saturday, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. In the field. In in the field alongside the pros. Uh, 2019, we go back to there, was my very first, um, like I played all season on the G4D Tour, which got my world ranking up to 13th. And I believe that's when I met Christian. I believe I was the first alternate. Someone couldn't go. And I remember the message he messaged me and said, Hey, Curtis, do you, would you you know take the opportunity to play in this? And 
I was immediately hundred percent. I'm like, dude, I'm in like, if, like I'll go. And he's like, no, 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 no. Take some time. Take some time. I'm like, no, dude, I'm, I'm going, <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not going to waste this opportunity. And it was, I believe October. November. Yeah. I believe it was October when he messaged. Me. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So like my golf was already shutting down and, I didn't play much after that because of the winter and to experience that in 2019 in the field with thousands of people watching Sunday, especially it was a- mm. Sunday yeah. dur- during that, the, I was in a playoff Sunday. That's right. It was a real pressure after, cooker for you, wasn't it? Yeah. After Matt Jones taps in yeah. wins and we're on the fairway hitting yeah, in yeah. and it looked like there was 50,000 people watching. I couldn't see the grass outside the ropes. And it was one of the, it was like, if you would have told five-year-old me this was going to happen, I would have said no way ever. And, you know, I checked off some dreams right there, you know, in my childhood dreams of playing inside the ropes. And I've never been to a professional event where I was on the outside. I I have a, bone to pick with you from the 2019 uh, event, actually, because I was doing the live scoring. Scoring, weren't you? That's right. And it's extremely difficult with the system we're using to manage a playoff, like to, to manage the live scoring for the playoff. It just, what comes in from the course just cuts off, and so we've got to, like, fall back to some completely different... Did you different... go out of the building, if I'm not mistaken? Were you out <laughs> of the building, also... like a goldfish out of the bowl? We were just rooting against a playoff, that's all. <laughs> and we could see... We could see the AAAC was getting, it was heading that way, and it was, uh, yeah, I was, I don't want to say I was de- death riding one or one or the other player, but well, given the I, result, Curtis is probably on your side. <laughs> probably cheering for the playoff at the time, but given what happened, that's right. Maybe he's Matt Jones did the right thing and won outright. It was, uh, yeah, it was you blokes that uh, yeah. let us down. How did you uh, feel at the time? That's an experience that you can try to imagine what that would feel like, and probably have done multiple times throughout your life. What was it actually like and how'd you cope with it? Uh, so basically I've trained my whole life for that experience. Um, it was a dream come true. I remember talking to my caddy at the time, sitting there on the 18th, teeing up my ball. And I literally said, I don't have a hundred bucks if I spray this and hit someone. <laughs> You know, so I, bet, I bet I better strike this down the middle. You just have to and, sign a sign a glove. Yeah, that's right. That's how they do it. Yeah, just a, so, a bag full of gloves. <laughs> so I literally I striped it down the middle, and I was like, "Phew!" <laughs> so I was I, like, that experience alone. There's 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 nowhere else in in this lifetime, you know, that you would experience that for the yeah. first time. Yeah. You know, and I just concentrate on what I have to do. And just it's it's, yeah. it's all one shot at a time. So, yeah. all of which is true. But the same thing that's true for professional golfers as well. While that's the case, the truth is you're part of a bigger world, aren't you? So you're kind of at the forefront of something with the G for D tour. You guys are the pioneers. There's a responsibility yeah. here to be building something, isn't there? We don't want to in 15 years still have a G four D that is 10 players playing on the Monday and Tuesday, do we? What no. what could it look like? What could it be? Is there a sort of a an organized plan or a roadmap to get somewhere beyond what would you like to see? What's happening in that space behind when you're not standing over shots? Also, what does I know, but just for our listeners, uh, G4D. what does G4D stand for? Uh, G4D is golfers for disabled. And basically, I believe Tony uh, that runs the EDGA tour yep. is 
basically where it started was the develop it's a development tour. So basically. And the EDGA is the European Disabled Golfers Association, yes. which it should be said do a lot for disabled golfers. They or golfers with a disability. They um, look after all the classifications and yes. uh, and they, that's where players register and get approved. Yeah, so that that's a tour to welcome everyone, uh, finding different ways of getting different players involved. Growing the game is huge, and where the G4D is basically the elite players uh, coming out of this tour and based on world rankings and we get to play the little higher stakes kind of tournaments. Yeah. And do you have spectators at those G4D events or probably nothing to the level that you have at the AAAC, I imagine? Yeah, it's not quite the same as this week. Um, like Monday and Tuesday, they're basically putting up structures. Um, there is some like volunteers, there is some fans on Tuesday, but, uh, it's not quite like this week. We'll get to Rod's question in a sec, but I really want to know what the catering's like on the Monday and Tuesday. <laughs> is, is the play, does the players' lounge have everything it's set the up big already? Stuff with you, isn't it? Like, what's the media center like? What are the sausage rolls like? Have they got sauce? What's the deal? Um, it's important stuff. Yeah, courtesy uh, cars are the courtesy cars going at, at the uh, at that stage? It's, it, it's it's all in the it's works. It's getting better and better every okay. year so far. Um. <laughs> Uh, the the food's great when it's there. Okay, so yeah. it's not always there. It's not always there. Okay. So right. you've now officially met Adrian Logue. The practice. that is a quintessential <laughs> Logue sort of question. We're talking about these enormous issues that involve all of us on the planet and humanity. And I think he these wants are the big issues. Catering. Frankly, this is these are the big issues. Um, the practice range as well. Like, yeah, all, so we we get access to to the practice range and Do you have to kick the members off the course at some uh, at some venues. They they're Probably gone the week before. Okay, all right. That's good. Yeah, so we basically almost the same, but not the same. How have you found the reaction from the pros? I know that the World Cup here was a real eye. I think it was the first time I saw all abilities players at the World Cup at Kingston Heath, I'm going to say, in 2016. And particularly, everybody who comes across Juan Postigo walks away and says, that is incredible, including the tour pros. I remember touring pros lining up to watch him swing it because he's an extraordinary player. How generally are you sort of treated or how is the relationship between G4D and the European Tour players, for example? You must come across each other a fair bit. Yeah, so now that I've been on the tour for a full season this year, uh, a lot of the pros recognize you. Uh, you know, we had seven events. I was at six this year. Um, you, you become uh, great friends, basically. So accepted, generally accepted? We're treated the same. We treat them as well as they treat us. Um, yeah, like we're all pretty recognizable based on our disabilities and differences. <laughs> yeah, so that, you, know, you do stand out. It's a bit hard to blend so, into the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Like example of one, like I remember, yeah, there's tour pros lining up watching this guy smash a ball 300 yards. Mm. And yeah. Then, then a lot of people are like, yeah, well, what's my excuse then? <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, but we don't have one. So, Juan, <laughs> stop doing that. You're making us all feel bad, mate, which is really not uh, 
not very nice. Of course, you, you, you're all much better players than most of the players that those pros will tee up with in the program. So they would realise pretty quickly it's a, if they're going to go and play with people, they'd much rather go and play with you guys, I'm sure, than half the people they tee up with in the programs because you see some things in programs. Do you have, you, I imagine you don't have programs for your, your event, or do you? Uh, right now, there's no prize money. There's uh, We're basically playing for points. Uh, the accommodations, so they, they pay for a percentage of flights and hotels, but not basically not everything covered, like our caddy expenses. If I bring a caddy, like for the last three weeks, I've been on the road and I couldn't afford to bring a caddy, so I'm here by myself. But basically, in the last two years, you know, I would pay for a caddy, I would pay the expenses, I would pay... Uh, for food when, you know, we didn't have the catering and stuff. <laughs> and and you know, that all adds up. Oh, of course. Huge, yeah. huge. Yeah, and if you, don't, if you don't have the, the corporate sponsors, I don't have any. I I had some funding from Golf Canada this year, which is great. It helps huge. But when you don't have that funding, it's tough. You know, there's not a balance there. You're putting out more traveling, developing this tour, and it's huge percentage on your side especially when you don't make a lot of money it sounds eerily like the start of most professional tours from last century without the possibility at the end of actually making some money most weeks pros who developed most of the world's tours would tell you that's exactly what it was like for them most weeks it cost you money but every now and then you might win something and get some of that back so the experience you're having is very much that pioneering thing isn't it that's what it sounds like to it's me. exactly we're we're creating a pathway for future golfers Hopefully, in the meantime, you know, money and everything talks its way through and we start getting paid. Because basically, if I took the last next two, three years off, I'd, it would take me that long to pay for the last two years. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, and what happens in 120 or so years from now, if you're a successful Curtis, is that the professional game will cannibalize itself because it's so addicted to the amounts of ridiculous money that have flowed into it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, we would, I, I personally would like to break even, you know, but a, a lot of the pros actually come up to me and they're like, well, you placed second last week in Dubai. How much money did you make? And I'm like, dude, it, it cost me money to be here. And they don't realize that. And, you know, people back home, I remember the first year I was on tour and I, I had, I came second in Dubai again and they're like, how much money did you make? A lot like, of second places, just yeah. to interrupt. <laughs> I but know. It's, uh, yeah. it easy. <laughs> and it's getting we'll there. To, it's getting there. We'll to change that this week. <laughs> but, but, you know, they, they don't know that we're not making money. So what, it, what does it, it take, Curtis? What is it, what's required for you to be able to make money? Golf, professional golf is essentially entertainment. And that's that's um, yeah, what sells so it to a broader public. I, I believe it's probably showcasing. So TV, uh, you need a corporate sponsor, I believe, for an overarching that, sponsor for the tour, that, perhaps that amount of money. You know, to pay us, say, say we had a 10, 10, 10 to eight, eight to ten events. Like I, I don't know personally how much money it would take, but if we played for eighty. Hundred thousand dollar purses, and winner comes home with twenty grand, and we pay our own way. You know, all the players would be for that. I'm an amateur. I've never been paid. I've played in professional events. I've won back home, where I ended up with a golf bag, and the pro cashed three thousand, four thousand dollar checks, and I shot the exact same scores. So 
for me to turn professional, I would say, where's the dotted line? I would sign, turn pro, and I would, would love an income playing these events. Like I've been away from home for 12 weeks this year. You know, I have bills at home. We all have bills at home. Yeah. You know, a lot of these guys have families. So I suppose the counter to that, Curtis, is nobody's making you do it, are they? You're doing something you love to do, so that's why you make the sacrifice, I guess. Yes, yes. Th- this this has all been a dream for me to play on a tour since I was five years old. I've never, I knew at a certain time in my life, I couldn't hit the ball far enough. I couldn't hit it to 300 yards. I'm only five foot tall. How far do you hit it? People always want to know. <laughs> We're on the internet, remember, so you can climb 350 <laughs> if you'd like. So so my club had speeds around 102, 104 for a driver. So back, uh, I probably carry a 250, two, maybe 60 if it's downwind. But it, then roll out maybe 280. It, it all depends. But uh, yeah, my seven irons, maybe 160 carry. In so yards. Greg Norman in his prime. Greg Norman in his prime. That's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. Like, what are the – does golf have a broader responsibility here? Just before you came in and before we press record, Curtis and I were talking about him, which we're going to come to. Tiger Woods saying yesterday in his press conference, you know, you wouldn't take a cart for whatever reason, and there's bigger issues there. He's a mm-hmm. he's an important figure. It's not just about him in some ways. In that we'll talk to Curtis about that. Does golf have a broader responsibility here to promote Curtis – and the all abilities golfers as a way of being the what you can see you can be idea. Yeah, it's important, I think, for the G four D tour in particular to have the the best players available to represent the tour and give it the best chance of success. Um so players it's really important for that tour to have players like Curtis. Um be representing the tour. Although there is something I'm really curious about, Curtis, is that there's almost an expectation with marginalised groups that you represent the group and not yourself. Like, it's something you see quite often, don't you, where... Meg McLaren's the equal pay girl. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. That happens. And I I wonder when, when you're playing these events, and probably particularly this week where there's a lot of... There's big crowds and they're out here... um, you know, perhaps to see the the men's and women's Australian Open, and they come across you. And when when you're you know, playing in front of a crowd like that, do you feel that responsibility just to be representing yourself, or uh, are you thinking if I hit a clunker here, they're, they're <laughs> going to go away with the price, that's they're, right. they're going to go away with a certain thought about uh, golfers with a disability, and so I, I better you know I, I better play well here or. Are you comfortable enough in front of crowds that you're just like I'm just representing myself? If I hit a clunker, that was me. <laughs> that's that's because I'm uh, that that's the level that I play at, which is a very good level. But you know that's the clunker. Yeah, I, I, I apologize. I'm sorry on behalf of all Australians that we have low. It's an interesting point, though, isn't it? Do you feel that that um, you're representing something more than just yourself? Yes. Part of a certain yes. Um, so. Yeah, I represent myself. I represent a lot of people that don't have a voice, don't have, uh, you know, that, that stepping ground where, where we are at. Um, we're, we're in front of thousands of people hitting golf shots. We all want to hit good shots. You know, we can all play good golf. 
you know, but under the circumstances when you have over a thousand people watching you hit these shots, you always want to perform well. You don't want to look no. uh, terrible. You know, you don't, you don't want the, the bad shots. We're all going to hit the bad shots. That's part of golf. Um, but yeah, I, I represent myself. I represent a lot of people with disabilities that, that are more hidden, not as obvious. And we're, we're promoting the game as all players on this tour. It, it's all going in the right direction. It's just a matter of time. I think one of the things that makes it so important, and um, we, we discussed this with um, James Gribble, is that the awareness that you can play golf with a disability is such an important thing, isn't it? Yeah. Like when, when you have the development tour, the EDGA, that's getting the guys involved. But it's also showing, you know, if you take this serious, put put your time in and and work hard. Anything's possible. So we're giving them the stages of the G4D Tour. This is possible for you. So me as a, uh, as a child, you know, if, if I relived this and knew that this tour was here, I probably would have worked twice as hard. Yeah. Someday you could be losing in a playoff to Johan. <laughs> you Kamister. could be hitting a clunker somewhere That's in front of 5,000 people. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I apologize on behalf of all Australians and all of us in golf for Logue. Lots of people will not be aware of all abilities golf. How good are the players? There's probably some people who think, oh, well, they like playing off 10, 15, 20. You're off one point, plus 1.8, uh, I think you're told. And, and ranked top Se- 10 in the world. player, ranked top 10 in the world. What sort of standard are people going to see this week if they've not seen all abilities golf before? In my eyes, our score will be under par for the winner, for sure. Right. Um, You're playing from the same tees as the pros, or are there, so are there we, adjustments made? Yes. So we, I think, are 10%. Right. And the women, I believe, are 15 or something like that. And I'm not 100% sure, so don't quote me. No, no. But, yeah, I just uh, recorded you, so you quoted <laughs> yourself. <laughs> but, but, yeah, there there is some differences in between some tees. Um, you know, you, you want good scores. Basically, the difference between us and them is distance, uh, and they they have a little better short games than us. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you want good scores. You know, you don't want the winning score to be plus ten. No, no. So guys, guys and girls will be shooting under par in the All Abilities Championship for the week. I mean, yeah, but ninety something percent of golfers will never have come close to sniffing under par. So if you're wondering how good the golf is from 10% forward of where Cameron Smith and Elvis Smiley are playing it, go back to 10% there and see how long it takes you to get to shooting under par. That's the sort of uh, ability that you're talking about. What else, The other thing that I was thinking about, Curtis, what are some of the common myths? You must come across constantly people who haven't heard of All Abilities Golf or G4D and they ask, oh, what's all that about? What are some of the common myths, the things that they may be well, – are there common myths or things that you constantly hear people say that are just – yeah, um, like like back home, uh, like I there was a lot of amputee golf, where I'm not missing an arm or a leg or on that case, so I wasn't aware of disability golf until 2019. Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't realize you were such a latecomer. Yeah, so I played all like able body tournaments my whole life. Uh, I was ranked number one in the Ottawa Valley for 2016, 2018. I played against some of the guys that are on the Canadian tour right now. And so that's how I developed my game. I are, you, played, are you on the honor board at 
Tathra Beach. <laughs> I do have newspaper clippings from excellent from men's nights and stuff like that, where the the guys were like, "Well, the teachers give this kid some more homework." <laughs> so the Tathra bugle was all over early. Uh, but yeah, it, it, that's that's how I grew up. I never I never knew about disability golf until 2019 when I heard actually on Facebook and. So I looked into it, I heard about the world rankings, and I was like, wow, I was ready to hang up my hat in 2018. You were going to quit competitive golf. I was going to quit and concentrate, you know, play local stuff, but uh, like stop traveling so much into provincials and stuff like that. And then I heard about the EGJ with the world rankings. And I was very hesitant to apply because I didn't know... uh, like the categories. Yeah, that's right. Because it is, I, was, I was coming to this is that there's, like all sports, we see at the Paralympics every year, categorizing people to try to allow for different disabilities and particularly in golf is somewhat tricky, isn't it? Yeah. So I I was unknown. I didn't know how it was. they were going to go by it. So I basically, one of, one of my good friends was like, dude, you got to, he's like, this, this tour is built for you. And so I, you know, I, I got the courage enough to, to just apply. So I applied maybe a month later, I was approved and I was, you know, I was on a new high. I was like, okay, the, you know, game on, you know, I got something to keep going. Yeah. And then I looked at, wow, now I got to travel to Europe. Now I got to travel around the world. And I'm like, how am I going to pay for this? So that that's how I come up with it, and that's how I am here today. I'm still paying for it, but I got to travel around, play again, you know, on the same levels of the... Yeah, you would hope that that's not going to be the case for a long time. Either. I'm sure there are people working behind the scenes to try to formulate something that will allow this tour to be a showcase for something much more important. Just the same as in golf, elite golf is probably the least important element of golf, the people who line up at their clubs every week on Wednesday and Saturday and that's their recreation, they devote all of their spare time to it is far more important. That pointy end of the game is such an important showcase, isn't it? So that people can then find the game and go on to become those lifelong golfers who never get any better than 15 or 10 or 6 or whatever their level might be. It doesn't really matter. They found golf or golfers found them. So. It's an, it's an, it, that's that's the way I look at it. We're golfers first. We just happen to have disabilities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. indeed. And and the new rules of golf, I was just which we best. talked about um, a couple of episodes ago, obviously have it there codified in the rules of golf. It's not some special thing off to the side. I wonder if there's it's, what other sports might. Have. I don't know that there is any other sport. I, Actual I think that was rules to cater point to. that James said. It, it was it is codified in the actual rules of golf. Rule twenty five. Um, is there for golfers with a disability. Did you say that as a sort of a victory, Curtis? Was that an important thing, that there be specific rules to cater to everybody, or were you somewhat it's, ambivalent about it, having I'm, grown up I'm with not the sure rules as they were? I'm not sure there's one that Curtis can take advantage of in there. Is there? Yeah, it's, every, it's a stepping stone in, in the right direction, the way I look at it. You know, It's recognition, isn't it? That yeah. the golf is not just for people with what we would consider two arms, two legs, normal exactly. uh, physical sort of attributes, etc. 
What about this week, Curtis? We're here to talk about the Australian Open. Of course, you were runner-up last time, as Logue has pointed out multiple times. Thank you for that, Logue. That was very kind of you to, uh, to mention that on and on. Uh, this is your first time to the Sandbelt, I understand. Yes. What have been your thoughts on the – I imagine you've seen both the courses already, both Vic and Kingston well, Heath. I think they're only playing Kingston Heath. Yeah, we oh, – Sorry, no, only playing Vic. We, we're, we're only playing Victoria. But you get to play at Kingston Heath. Did you get to play at Kingston uh, it was sure. it was optional Wednesday, but I I bowed out to save my energy for the week. I understand that, but you've kind of made a tactical error there as a guy. Yeah, I've got to tell you that. Yeah, that have must to have been very have a look. Yeah. Or have a look at some of the Sandbelt courses. Have a look here at oh, right. Sand, Sandy Links. Yeah, just Sandy Links is well, Melbourne. Great. So you've had a look at Victoria. What are your thoughts on some of the Sandbelt? This is where we forget about golf with anything, golf with a terrible short game, golf with a disability, golf with no ability to putt. Thoughts on... Victoria, the Sandbelt, as a as a golf challenge. It's uh, I've had two practice rounds on it. Uh, I like it. it. It definitely suits my game. You got to think your way around the course. You know, you, you can't attack some pins. Center greens are pretty good, and that's that's basically who I am. Fairways and greens. Uh, probably my weakest point would be my putter or short game. So you're in very good company. You can very good company indeed. If you'll feel much better about yourself if we go out and have a bit of a short game and putting thing, I can show you. <laughs> but but yeah, you, you really got to think your way around this course. It's in unbelievable condition. I was telling some of the the guys working there. I'm like, you guys go around with like toothbrushes and uh, you know scissors cutting some of these. Like is is I've never seen a course so perfect. Uh, tee to green, so. and, and but wild and scrubby off off, off the sides, right? Yeah, I mean the, the playing surfaces are just perfect. But yeah, Victoria the, has some of the best heathy rough exactly on the sandbelt. It uh, it penalizes you for missed shots, and that's exactly what a golf course should do. Are you a golf course architecture nut? Do you take much interest in that side of golf, or do you just turn up and play whatever's in front of you? Yeah, I just take one shot at a time. Um, I map the course from Monday to Tuesday. Uh, the real challenge this week will be probably the wind. Um, you really got to watch the wind. It turns the holes into birdie holes or take a par and run holes. Um, some of these greens are, are designed so, so good that, like, if you can miss just miss it by a yard and your ball rolls off and... I'll lie. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you'd be lucky to walk away with a bogey, you know, so... Yes. Um, it's it's all shot plate this week. There are uh, my thought on the sandbelt, and I think all the courses share this. Uh, you can play them all you know, quite reasonably and conservatively, but there are diabolical places to miss at Victoria, Royal Melbourne, where it doesn't matter how good you are. Three to get down from there will be a job well done, and, and you can really get ejected a long way from the green very, as well because of the very much so the short grass around the green. Is this like any golf you've played before? Is does it does it look and feel different? We often think that, Danny, we've got something quite unique on the sandbelt. I still yes. believe that, regardless of what you say, I'm still going to believe that. But what's been your take having played all around the world? Uh, so I'm not used to the such tight lies around the greens. When when we miss the green back home, we're either in a sand trap bunker or thick rough, where you got to actually swipe hard at it. Here, it's, 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 it's picking... Flinching with with checks, <laughs> you know, like like putting up the ridges, uh, like a lot of the par fives this week on the practice round. I was aiming at bunkers, 
So if I'm going to either miss this green, I'm going in this, this sand trap. Because I've seen that. I'm familiar with that. <laughs> because I can hit it out of there. Yeah. And, and it must be said, when you get the hang of Melbourne sandbelt bunkers, oh, yeah, they're extra- you can really yeah. control the ball out of I, them. It's- I prefer to hit, hit it into the trap. Yeah. If I'm in the trap, I might have a 48% of making the up and down. If I miss the green, like I said, you walk away with bogey and run. We often think, and we talk on this show a lot and various other podcasts about there's various things about course architecture and some of these things. Was it? Mike technique. It feels this these That's, mics we're using. No, headset don't blame mics, them. Think, no, no, no. They, that they, was your mic they technique. Feel like that you weren't speaking. There is them. no technique. You put it there, and that's where it is. <laughs> Leave me out. Leave me out of it. So, so we, many people will be cheering me just often, now that I'm giving them a hard time about mic technique. Am yes, I that you are. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupt. The notion that for better players, we talked about this in the way on the way over in the car. For better players, short grass is actually a more difficult proposition. When you hit it in the long rough or a bunker, there's only one shot to play, isn't there? Once you're on that tight lie, now there's four or five different options and all of them legitimate. That's where doubt can be introduced, isn't it? For the players like Logan, it's easy. Just grab the putter and putt it up the hill. We're not going to try and nip it with a wedge. But when you've got the options, it's what makes the game more interesting. It becomes a test of not just execution, but thought and imagination as well. You've got to see the right shot and then you've got to execute it. Does it feel like that for you? Uh, 100%, 100% here. Yeah, that's what I mean, here. Yeah, definitely here. So... Not in Sydney. You don't get that at the Australian where you played no, the last one. No. So, yeah, you basically said it. There's there's so many options to play this. And I try to just master the basics. Get it as close to the hole as possible. I don't care how. Yeah. So if I have to pull a putter out and hit the putt up the hill and get this weight right, I'll do it. No, there's no shame. There, there's no like, shame at all. <laughs> I, like, I don't care if I, I have to pull out a, a three-wood. Yeah and use a three-wood beside the green or a putter or find some rough to hit out of. (laughs) (laughs) I'll start aiming for the roughest you can find somewhere around the sand belt. For the spectator at home, like we kind of discussed this last week about Royal Queensland, didn't we? That's the interest for me is the different shots. I watched Mark Leishman chip with a five-iron at one point last week, which is just almost unheard of, isn't it? I can't imagine Mark Leishman's chip with a five-iron. Since Warnable. Probably since Warnable. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so as a spectator, they're the things you look for. And you can see players taking the time when you watch them go backwards and forwards. That's when you know, be alert here, something special could happen, either good or bad, which in some ways we enjoy more. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and that's what sandbelt golf brings out. Um, It's uh, it's regardless of the score. I think we're we're talking as we talk. Half of round one is is underway, and the scores are quite low. Hmm. It's a bit overcast and uh, a bit soft, I think. But um, not not a lot of wind today. Not a lot of wind. Yeah, I think the wind will come up a little bit later in the week, and uh, yeah, we'll see that true. That real test. And that's also as it should be. A good golf course allows good players to shoot Absolutely. good scores. That's Absolutely. and but within that, there's still there's still double bogeys and triple bogeys lurking on every every hole there. With one bad shot, you can be really punished. And Vic as well changes direction quite a lot. Yeah. The routing at Vic is really interesting, so wind, which makes that you wind. never get settled with the wind, yeah. do you? The fifteenth hole here at uh, Vic. How do you play that? That's the short short par the short par four, four yeah. with the bunkers all the way up the left. How do you do that, Curtis? So Jeff Ogilvie says it's never a driver. So I really want to hear you say it's driver every day of the week. Uh, to me, it was basically wind direction. The first round Monday, I hit five wood. I think I had one of my wedges in my hand. 
Tuesday, it was downwind. I said, you know, smash, smash there. driver. It's just, you hit a draw, that's your so, shape, everything sets up for it. So I just lined up at the green and I hit driver and I was 20 yards over the green. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it, it's I'm not sure where it landed. Yeah. It rolled and I was actually underneath the stand where the camera was supposed that's, to be. That's what you want to see as you crest the hill in a tournament, isn't it? Like, <laughs> where is it? Where is it? Oh, it's over the back there. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fabulous. Especially we had two two girls in front of us and I didn't think I could reach. <laughs> and they said it rolled right by them and I was like, oh my God, I am so sorry. Like, I wouldn't have hit if I knew I could have reached. What you should have said was, what, you couldn't chuck a foot out? <laughs> it was too hard to just stick a foot out? Really? Um, so what does that mean for the tournament then? Because this is interesting. The practice rounds are about getting to know the course, do you now have a plan for the 15th hole? Is Jeff Ogilvy right? It's never driver off the tee. Well, the way I look at it, it's, it's, it's going to be the wind. The wind will decide. Like I said, there's a lot of bunkers up there by that green. Over the back, you're dead. So if, if I you know, hit, a, hit a beautiful three-wood or something, roll it up close, end up in one of those bunkers, I'd be fine with that. But... There is nothing wrong with hitting a five wood or a two hundred yard club and having a wedge in your hand, especially to that green. That back down the left the side there's, it's dead. There's it's a lot off. of big X's in, in the yard. It, we'll go there, big red. I, I'll, <laughs> I'll leave a link to a tweet from Steve Kuypert, um, who had a suggestion about the strategy for the fifteenth. He said it's a it's a weak right, a weak high right shot into the scrub on the right. Then shank it onto the sixteenth tee. Yes, that's right. Blade then, it over. Then blade it over onto the eleventh tee. Flub the next one. Yep. Now you're in Just the game. Put it up onto the green <laughs> and three putt for a nine or something was so, the suggestion. There we go. Big yeah. red lines all around the left and back of the green. Yep. Yes, nicely done. Absolutely right. Yep. Shameless self promotion. I did an interview with Steve Allen, who won the 2002 Australian Open at Vic. It's been very the famous. Good. Some of your best work. 50. You say that every time, but I really do appreciate it because you almost sound sincere. And I appreciate the effort, if not the, the lack of actual sincerity. And he said he got to that tee. He, was a mem- he wasn't a member of Victoria, he played a lot. Got to that tee on the Sunday. And had to talk himself out of it. And he said, "No, it's a it's a six iron because yes, you right. could lose the tournament here." Yeah, yeah. He's hit driver up there a dozen times and hit it on the green and made eagles and he's hit it in bunkers and over the back and made sevens as well. And on the so- Sunday of the tournament, he talked specifically about the fifteenth hole. He got there's a six iron. That's it. I'm hitting six iron off the tee. It doesn't matter what happens. And that that was the right strategy. Yeah, basically, you see here that's my landing area. Curtis is showing us the uh, yardage book, by the way, which is, mm. the prof- if you've never seen a professional yardage book, go and do the university course first so that you can understand what's going on, and then you'll be able to read it. And what does that leave you to the green from there? Uh, I had one of my wedges that all the, yeah. based on where the pin is. And how far is that off the tee? You're talking 200? Uh, I, hit, I hit my five wood, but it was into the wind, I believe, that day. So I hit it about 210 carry. Just so, right half of the bunker, just about in line with yeah, the start so, of the first bunker short of the green, if people know the hole. It's, uh, yeah, you, you don't want to be here. No, you really you, don't want to be here. If you have a 100-yard bunker shot, that's yeah, you No, know, that's, that's no good. fun. To a green that over the back is dead, <laughs> the left is dead, that's not the with, bunker with shot. With nothing but bunkers between your bunker yeah, and yeah, so, yeah, so it's yeah. all carry and then yeah. stop yeah. it. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with an iron up here as well. Like you can you, you can have a flip wedge with, especially these guys are, are money with their wedges. Yeah. You know, and and when it was downwind, it was two eighty eight carry or or whatever here, you know, just short of the green, which that's where I thought my ball would end up. Yeah, and I I hit it pretty good, and it was downwind, so it just rolled, 
and rolled and it rolled right over the green and it was dead back there i i still part it but it was not a very good wedge shot if you're um <laughs> if you're listening and you're going to be watching the golf from home and you're not familiar with the victoria golf club the 15th hole is absolutely one that you want to watch closely it will be pivotal it comes at a perfect place in a round too doesn't it for a tournament the 15th you can have a disaster there it's not the 17th so it's not over <laughs> but it's not the 10th either. There's not a lot of time to make up ground. If you recover quickly enough, you might be able to pick something back on 16, exactly. 17. It's just, it's just a perfect place for that hole in that round. And interestingly, you look at it on your yardage book there, it looks pretty innocuous, doesn't it? It's a drivable par four with a few bunkers down the left. That's, that's how you describe it. Yet when you go out and stand there, the catastrophes that can happen become quite clear. And that's really kind of the key to a great golf hole, I think. And it is a great golf hole, so... Will be fantastic. Uh, you said under par, you think a win. Do you have an idea for winning score? Or is that going to move depending on the weather conditions too much to really? That, what would you expect to come out and shoot at Victoria most days between your range? It, it, it all depends on the weather. For me, it's all about the weather. If it, it, it's supposedly going to be hot this week, I'll take that. I'll take heat. I'd rather sweat over getting cold. Cold is bad for you. Cold, cold is really bad for me. I can't perform the way. We don't get cold here like you get cold. Canada, <laughs> cold in Melbourne is not going to be like what you're talking about. I was talking to, to Christian earlier, and he's like, "Man, it's cool." And I'm like, "Man, you don't know cold." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. And who do we look out for? Who's the competition? You were runner-up last time, so there's a score to settle. Clearly, that's it's this field. Anybody can win. Best of the best. You know, we're we're all here for a reason, and it's who's on. Yeah, it's who's on this week. Yeah. Uh, we're we're all capable of, of shooting these rounds. Johan Kamerstad, of course, is going for a hat trick of Australian All Ability Championships, um, and you'll be looking to get revenge over over him. Yeah. Right so when I first saw him this week, I said, "Dude, I'm here to stop you this year," <laughs> and uh, he just laughed. And uh, with you know, we we all we're all here to win. We do, Won't we, be laughing come Sunday. We we don't come all this way, you know, to no, it's you know. Be happy with third or fourth. No, that's right. We're, we're all here to win, and we're all capable of doing it. So, like, even two weeks ago in Dubai, the eighth-ranked player, the last guy in, won. All right. So we're we're all capable. And Australia's Jeff Nicholas is uh, very highly regarded. Perennial yeah. contender yep. and campaigner. Jeff tells a fabulous story. Jeff has a uh, – I think it's his right. He has a prosthetic on his right lower leg. And many, 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 many years ago, he was at qualifying for the Open Championship. He used to go and try to qualify for the Open quite often. And <laughs> one of the Allen keys in his ankle came loose. So he goes from the range into the pro shop and he says to the guy, kid behind the pro shop, have you got an Allen key? And he goes, yeah, yeah. And he goes, I'll go out the back and get it. So he goes out to the back. When he gets, when he gets back, <laughs> Jeff's got his ankle up on the counter. <laughs> yeah. His whole foot in the foot joint and everything. The kid sort of walks out. He's Allen key. He's like, what? what the? And there's Jeff. <laughs> puts it back on and goes back out to keep trying to. He's a lovely bloke, Jeff. And, uh, yeah, he is great. He's great. And a good player. The golf aside, what do you sort of look Do you get much of it? Is it a bit like pro golf where you really see airports, hotels, and more airports? Or do you get a bit of a chance to actually experience a bit? Oh, you obviously got a bit of a history with Australia, but do you get a chance to see some stuff? What's the best thing aside from the golf? Um, yeah, a lot of flights, a lot of hurry up and wait. Yeah. Um, I'm not keen on flying. Sitting in one, one spot. Finally, I'll meet somebody else. You know, a, a lot a lot of people are, are, are you you excited to go? And I'm like, no. I'm, not. Mm. I'm like, I'll be happy when I get there. I'm excited to get there. 
<laughs> I'll be I'll it. be happy to get there. But yeah. if you fly as often, like I'm new to it, fairly, I'm not I'm not like I can't afford to you're get not, there you're not in front. business yeah. or first class, you know. So I'm stuck and crammed and and I hurt. Period. Let alone yeah. sitting and especially flying here. You How know? many hours to get here from Canada? Well, it took me. 20 hours to fly to Dubai the last two weeks ago. Oh, cool. So you came from Dubai. So I, 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 I flew from Dubai to here, which Just was about four, 14 hours. But from start to finish, you're, you're almost at 20. And you go from here directly home? And then I go from here, I fly to LA and then back to Montreal. So in a matter of three weeks, I fly completely around the world. and See nothing. Two golf courses and a couple of car parks. Exactly. Yeah. It's like uh, just a I'm, lot of anxiety about. I'm I'm here to golf. <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of a lot of stuff is sitting at the wait, uh, waiting for your golf clubs, yeah. and you're like, you know, please show up, please show up, please <laughs> please show up. You so. don't have to dig too deep into Twitter to find golf professionals asking airlines where are their golf clubs. I've got a plane in two days. Where are my golf clubs? I'm to say on you this week. Trying really? to get out here, yeah. Lost two yeah. golf clubs. I think Marina Alex a week or two ago. Okay. Same deal. Golf clubs just go missing. I've got a little trip coming up and I bought air tags. Which so that's for, so that you can add to your frustration. Yeah, you know the where airline, they are. Not only to the airline, yeah. but you know where they are and yeah. they refuse to go yeah. and get them for you. Yeah. So I think it was Scott Hent, was he not? He was at the airport less than Could 50 feet from his own golf clubs and they're like, no, we can't. He's like, I can see it on my phone. It just there. Some airlines don't want you using them apparently. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine because it makes uh, – Makes uh, their life somewhat difficult. Well, Curtis, best of luck this week, my friend. Uh, we'll all be watching with interest. Uh, those who are watching on the TV, you'll see the guys in the field through Saturday and Sunday. I can't remember how they do the groupings on the Sunday. Was um, remind me how they do the pairings for the all abilities field within we, the main field. Yeah, we so now complicated because it's two fields: the women, the men, and then uh, the, yeah. the third field. Yeah. So in Sydney, from my experience there, we were. I think we were. An hour or 40 minutes apart in between the groups. groups that's right. Uh, Friday, I've seen tea times. I'm the last one off on 10. So I think we're we're at the back of the pack for the first round. I'm not sure with our round two, which is their round three. Should be seated. You'd have so, yeah, so I'm not 100% sure there, but... I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. There's, there's going to be good crowds, good oh. people, and hopefully we all perform well and... There's going to be a champion at the end of this. Absolutely. And they're going to deserve it. So if it's what you want to do with your life, you couldn't have all, you couldn't have a better set of ingredients than what you're going to have this week. The golf course to the crowds, to the other place. Cam Smith has just dragged the kids. He's like the Pied Piper of golf. I just saw some footage from the first hole. You could not see anything. Haven't seen anything like since the eighties when Norman was here. Like, yeah, down both sides and around the back of the green. Wow. Just humans all wanting to get a look at Cam Smith. And, of course, you know, when you've got that many people on site, everything is amped up. So if it's what you want to do with your life and it's what you want to do with yours, I can't imagine that you're ever going to get a better experience than this. And if you do, it'll be pretty, pretty special. <laughs> I'm just going to keep working on me. That's all I can do. Yeah, and indeed. take advantage of my opportunities and not waste them. And uh, hopefully I just do my job this week and – if I come out on top, I come out on top, but it's not like I'm rooting against them. No, 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 no. You know, it, it, if one of the other people are in contention, I'm rooting for both. There's going to be a winner and a loser. That's competition. 
Because golf is what you want is for everybody else to play their best and for you to win, isn't it? Because then you've yes. been the best at their best. That's what you want. You don't that's want exactly, other people to play poorly and for you to win. You want them to play really well and for you to play that little bit better. That's the perfect golf. That's, failing that's a, that, it's you just take the other. Yeah. I had a tournament, uh, the Ontario Disability back home, and a buddy of mine now is uh, he shot six under first round. I was three under, and I said to my caddy, said, I'll go stick to my game plan. If I shoot another 69 and this guy beats me, I said, good for him. Yeah, hats off to him. You know, and, and then it, I turned out, I shot 70, and he was like 76, and I won by two or three. You know, I just got the better of the two days. Yeah. But it's not like I was rooting against him. No. If he went out and shot four under and whooped me, I would have been like, dude, hats off to you. Isn't it one of golf's great appeals I've always thought is that it's a very unique style of competition where you don't play against anybody, but you actually play against everybody in a weird sense in the whole field. So ultimately, you really only play against yourself and the course. And it's one of the few sports where you really can do that. You can just say, oh, well, yes. I remember Brett Ogle saying this, his first tour event he played, I think, in the, in the PGA Tour. He shot six under in the morning, and he walked up and said, I've never played golf better than that. Nobody could ever play golf better than that. That's as good as golf can be played. And he went off to the supermarket and bought some stuff to make dinner. He got home, he turned on the TV, and Davis Love had shot 63. And he said, well, what are you saying? What can you do except say hats exactly. off? Great round of golf. Like, I know how well I played, and you played three shots better. I, I play a lot of my tournaments that way. I play against the course. I can't control what you do. No. I can only control myself. So I, I play the course. I play each hole as well as I can, you know, and if they come in better, good for them. Like, that's awesome. You know, and that's how I play my golf. I don't look at leaderboards. Like your best golf. I never look at leaderboards. I remember last year in Dubai when I came second and my caddy literally came over and he's like second. And I'm like, what do you mean? I literally said, well, what do you mean? He's like, dude, you came second. In the tournament. And I'm like, oh, yeah, right. Like, You're like right on. You're like, <laughs> they usually rate that stuff till I get home. Is that what happened? But, you know, like I was oblivious that I came second because I was playing my own game against the course. And, you know, and then after the fact, I was like, oh, yeah, I came second. Like, you, good. You were like, in, in the zone. Yeah. So I, don't, I, I played I don't, one shot. I've been in the zone for a long time. At a time. You ever seen the zone? I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't. Re- and if I have, I wouldn't have recognised it. No. It'd be such foreign territory to me. I've- I did hint earlier because I did want to get your thoughts on this, and I haven't seen the full quote. My understanding is that Tiger Woods has essentially said he was put to him again. Perhaps he should take a cart to play golf. There's an awful lot of people in the world of golf who would love to see Tiger play golf under any circumstances. I'm not sure where I stand that, but he's been such a gift to us as golfers to watch, and he's just ruled it out. Uh, never going to happen. He's never going to take. Never going to ask for a cart, which is interesting. And he's entitled to do that. And there's a lot of golfers who'd say, "Good on you. That's a that's a brave sort of decision." We spoke just before we come in air about this. What do you think about what he said there? And if this touches on that notion, I think I mentioned of there's broader responsibilities when you're Tiger Woods than just Tiger Woods, and that might be a real pain in the butt. But kind of comes with the turf and the money, doesn't it? Yeah, for me, see, I I play golf for myself, but not. Uh entirely i have people back home that have supported me to get me where i am here today and i i play for myself as well as my family and my friends back home you know all the support they've given me tiger woods is above the everyone so tiger woods has made golf what it is today pretty much right for him 
I don't know if it's a, an ego or something like that, but if it was me, I would take the cart and play, bring the crowds, bring up this game again, you know, to even a higher level to say, hey, I might be hurting, but I'm here playing this game, even though I have to take a cart. Yeah. He stigmatizes. He's, he's, he's Tiger Woods. They're, they're going to let him play. Mm-hmm. They're not going to say no to Tiger oh, no, Woods. That's, that's not a question. We know that. Yeah. They did to Casey Martin, a genuine lifelong injury, but yep. they would yes. not to Tiger Woods, which tells you something about He He would bring the crowds. He would bring the money. He would bring the people. He, he, he would define saying, hey, just because I'm hurt, it won't stop me from playing this game. But Tiger is Tiger, and he will do what he wants, and if he doesn't want to take the cart and preferred the old traditional way of walking, doing his thing. It's because you play in a cart, don't you? I play in you a cart. In cart. Well, don't have to, but you have to, if you're going to be it, competitive, if you're not yes. going to run out of energy by the eighth hole kind of deal. And exactly. It's what allows you to sort of play. Yeah. Look, I, my fear is that he's not listening to us like Tiger, that he's not listening no. to this episode and perhaps won't hear that. What's your take? It's a bit of a complicated, isn't it? Because I mean, Tiger's entitled to do what Tiger wants to do for Tiger too, isn't he? His whole life he has walked the golf course. He, in fact, I think was one of those, despite being a friend of Casey Martin's, who I may have been teammates, actually. I think. They were at yeah. uh, Stanford. I think he may have been one of those who, I don't know whether he testified, but he certainly wasn't in favour of allowing carts in golf, which is different to not allowing Casey a cart, which was mm-hmm. a... That was a complex issue for everyone. It's kind of raised its head again, hasn't it, in a funny way? You any thoughts on that, Luke? Uh, I think it would be a powerful statement for Tiger to um, to to play in a cart. Um, I, I don't think – I, I wouldn't have any problem with it at all. In the fact, I'd, the I'd encourage it. The Open? I'd say let's see how it goes in some tour events. If I'm not mistaken, he has played in a cart in the PNC – Father, well, we're talking about tournaments, yes, and he yeah. probably and he will. Did he play? I don't know if he did. He is going to play in that again this year, and I imagine that that's not one where he would draw the line at taking a cut. Mm. My sense is but that what he's step it up and he, he's trying it. to protect the integrity of the very elitist levels of the games where walking has always been a part of. What they're trying to guard against, I think, I've, Jack Nicholas gave evidence essentially against Casey Martin, which does not look fabulous on his record. But what I think he was saying, as have a lot of other top players, is that at this very elite level, walking is a part of it. Now, and that has always been the case. Should it be might be a different question. What they want to guard against is people who don't really need a cart, taking carts, saving energy, and gaining an advantage from that that others aren't getting. That's the fear, I think. As if that's going to happen. Um, I think Daily Sue for that? PGA? But it's... is a bunch of prize money going to get stolen away from players week in, week out because people no. are running around no. with carts? No, I don't even know where I'm standing on this. I'm talking myself into happen. a corner I don't but understand. I, I mean, actually, it's probably not a, a perfect turn of phrase, but it's baby steps are needed. <laughs> um, like, I, I think the PNC thing, it's actually good to see Tiger in a cart in the PNC. You can get just to see him play shots. See how they're playing with his kids. It's like with- showing off as something about <laughs> golf that we don't see enough of, his fathers and sons and fathers and daughters and Absolutely. mothers and sons out playing golf. And then from there, if he wants to play in a tour event in a cart, I, I would strongly encourage it. I think that would be fantastic. It would be just uh, the symbolism of that I think would be fantastic. Um, and then that that's the next baby step. And then further to that, majors, which has happened before, of course, with John Daly. So. And Casey Martin played in the US Open. Oh, there you go. Not a cart, it was a special vehicle that he had. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Mate, I'm friends. It's an interesting area. Do you watch this stuff more carefully because you're somewhat more immersed in it than obviously than what we are? These things will impact you if there's changes to rules and those sorts of things, or are we? Yeah, I try not to look into it too much. Yeah. Uh, you really are a Every- golfer, aren't you? There's just nothing else in the world. You've well, got the golf blinkers on. <laughs> yeah, I tr- uh, I'm a home buddy, so I just I take it as it is. If I jokingly said when I saw it online, I jokingly said, "Oh, welcome f- to the tour." You know, like come play on our tour. Come you'll, play the, you'll, come play the you'll, you'll, you'll probably get a spot. You'll you'll bring the money for sure. So I've actually got a quick question for you. I mean, and apologies, we've used a lot of your time, but. From a technology point of view, TrackMan must be um, an amazing innovation for golfers with a disability. The ball doesn't know about your disability and certain disabilities might cause you to have a weird swing path or something. But if you can return the club to the ball in the manner that TrackMan says is going to produce a good shot, that must be enormous for golfers with a disability to improve their game. Yeah, as, as golfers with disabilities, there's basically results. Doesn't matter how you get the club there. Yeah. You know, I got a guy back home, one arm, you know, hits it 300 yards. Yeah. Track man don't know that. Oh, no. And he pummels that ball. And, you know, it's just numbers. That's right. He's putting numbers on that screen and they're impressive. I think more able bodied golfers could I was say, that just give, give up trying to play. Hamilton is one arm and he's hitting it 300 yards. Yeah, play certain positions and just worry about actual. Ball striking, um, that's uh, there's a lesson in that for all of us, I think. Probably best we don't go down the path of giving golf instruction here on the golf course. No, <laughs> like, just, like point people at a track man. I think people, the people who do track know man, what they're doing. I've said this before that I think track man should be a basic human right. Should come with every right. set of clubs? Is that <laughs> how it works? That'd it's, be great. Yeah, just the it. enjoyment that you can derive from golf by hitting shots a little bit better. If you actually get from getting that instant feedback, that can just I think cut through all the technique and YouTube videos and stuff that you Don't might watch think I've spending ever been years for incremental little improvements. Well, yeah, I mean, I've ever been on one. It explains a lot, actually. So, yeah. It does explain. <laughs> that's, that's all there. That's enough. Episode one hundred and twenty-six. I'm going to say six or seven. We'll cut out the bit that's uh, that's wrong. Episode one hundred and twenty six or seven of the Good Good Golf Podcast in the books. Thank you, Curtis. It's been great to have you. Best of luck this week. We'll watch your results yeah, with interest, of course. And thank you, Logue. Nice to have you along, despite the fact that you did nothing but insult the guests. From the UK. <laughs> thank you, Rob. <laughs> That's it. We'll be back next week here on the Good Good Golf Podcast.